thank you very much for having me here today. Uh, I'll give you a brief bio of who I am. Actually, I moved down to Fond du Lac in the year 2000. I graduated in 98 from high school, moved down to Fond du Lac, and graduated on a Friday. The following Monday up in the UP, I started drywalling. And I drywalled up there a couple of years, and I have three sisters that live in Fond du Lac. Paula Sturm, she used to come here. She goes to Fond du Lac Church now. Um, I lived, moved down there, lived there for about nine years, did drywall while I was down there too. And you know, when the recession hit, drywall and lots of other construction dried right up in the Fond du Lac area. So I decided to move back home to the UP in Escanaba where I was born and raised. And currently I work at my parents' own health food store up in Escanaba, Michigan. So I live up in north of Escanaba, about 20 miles in Rapid River, Michigan, a little town go to a little country Adventist church up there. And I've been raised in the Adventist church. My mom is Adventist. My father is an Adventist. And when you have that division in the home, you have the two poles of the world and poles of going to church. And you know, I've always went to church my whole life. I've always believed in going to church. And my mom always instilled in the principle of paying tithe. She always had me pay tithe. I never drank, smoked a drug, never had desire. But I wasn't a Christian just about all of my experience. I was just going to church and too afraid to stop going, but didn't care enough when I was there to study. So well, several years ago, I met a girl. I was about 25. She was 25, 22, 23. And she was Adventist. I was Adventist. She lived in lower Michigan. I lived in Fond du Lac at the time. And so we started to talk. We met online. I don't really like that method anymore. I don't. Don't try to get into that anymore. I don't like that at all. I'm not saying God can't work through it, but I just don't like it anymore. And so I met this girl, and we talked for quite a while, and I went to go meet her. She happened to be best friends with a cousin of mine downstate. And so I went to my cousin's house, and I met her there, and we dated for about a year. And then during this relationship, you know, I wanted to pursue further. We're talking about getting married, and then out of the blue, we, she told me she didn't love me anymore, and that just rocked my world. And so through that experience, God has led me to have a love for the truth that I have known all along but never accepted in my heart. And so since that time, I've Bible worked for a year. I'm going to go to college right now, and I'm going downstate to Lower Michigan for Emanuel Institute. It's a three-and-a-half-month-long evangelism training program. I'm going to be leaving about a month and a half for that. And I plan on going back to the UP and seeing what God has in store for me up there. And I met a wonderful woman who I'm engaged to right now. She's sitting right up there. She's a little embarrassed. I won't have her stand up or wave. but She'll, stay, she'll be standing by me when I'm done preaching at the door, so you can greet her there. Her name's Shelby. And God led us together. I know he led us together. I made a vow to God after this bad relationships I had in my past. I said, God, I'm not going to be with another woman in my life until you say she is the one for me. So I met some other women prayed about it, no, so I didn't care, kept moving on. Met her, prayed about it, God said yes, and I go, wait, wait a minute, are you saying yes this time? So, by the love and grace of God, he brought us together, and I'm thankful that we can work for him together. Thankful that I could be here today. So that's just a brief bio of my life, and I've been to this church actually several times when I was living in Fond du Lac, because Fond du Lac didn't have a church. So I've been to this church several times. I recognize Paul and, is it Ethel? And uh, another gentleman I vaguely remember, but 
So it's good to be back here. And we felt very welcome this morning. We're both impressed of how welcoming and warm the reception we received. So thank you very much for that. All right, without any more delays, let's bow our heads for a moment. And I'd like to bow my head in a moment a silent prayer. And I encourage you to pray silently for yourself, your neighbor, and for me as well. So I want to entreat you to do that now. Our God, we are so thankful for bringing us into your house today. Thank you for the fellowship of believers who gathered here today. Thank you for your word that reveals to us who you are. Reveals to us what we should do and what we shouldn't do. And reveals to us, more importantly, your great love for this lost world. Help us, I pray, to learn from your scriptures today. And then our hearts will be ignited to follow your will today. So thank you so much for hearing and for answering our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. The great omission, probably not as famous as the great commission, as what we all know. And just out of curiosity, what were those three words of the great, first three words of the great commission? Anybody remember? Say it louder, I can't quite hear you. Say it with confidence. Go ye therefore. All right, you're all wrong, but I thank you for your efforts anyway. Turn to Matthew 28 with me. Go there, look at it with me. Matthew 28:18. I've done this in other churches, and it's not any different, so don't feel embarrassed. You're not the first. Matthew 28:18. And it says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, and here's the first words of the Great Commission, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Then he says, Go ye therefore. Now when you see that word therefore, he's saying in conclusion of what I just previously stated. Jesus has given us great hope right here in the Great Commission. Because in the last words of the Great Commission, he says, I am with you even unto the end of the world. Amen. So when we go out fulfilling the Great Commission to our community, to our homes, to wherever we go, Jesus has given us assurance that I am with you, one. And two, when I am with you, you have all power and authority with you. So you don't have to worry about anything. The only part we have to worry about is the middle part there. Go ye therefore. Are we willing to go or not? That's the part we have to worry about. But when we go, we have full assurance that God is with us. And we have no fears of what man can do to us. But the great omission. Most of us know what the word omission means. It means to neglect. Neglect or failure to do something which a person had power to do or which duty required to be done. So omitting is not something, so omitting is not doing something that it was our duty to do. And just about every, if not every Adventist church, there's a group of people. A group that is not much talked about. It's a group that the Lord looks upon with extreme pity and care and concern for them. The Bible calls them backsliders. 
It's a person who once accepted these three angels' messages or accepted the Lord Jesus Christ into their hearts and for some reason started to turn away from it. Maybe a brother or sister in the church said something that hurt their feelings. Maybe the love of the world or some job position required them to be away on Sabbaths. But whatever the case, they once loved the truth, but now have turned away from it. And some of them are still sitting in the pews yet. They have not quite left yet. But the love of the truth is not there like it used to be. Now there's a general way how backsliding starts. Some were faithful going to prayer meeting the, when they first came into the church. But after a while, they miss a few because there's other things to take care of. And then before you know it, it seems to stop. Then Sabbath school used to go to all the time, and before you know it, they start being late or start not coming at all. Then after a while, it could be years, could be two years, could be 20 years, could be two months, whatever the time frame is. But without hardly any recognition from people, they start coming every the Sabbath. Then before you know it, once a month. Then before you know it, you don't see them anymore. Now it's a sad thing. I've experienced this myself in my Christian walk. I've not been, I was raised Adventist, but I hasn't been Adventist for about six years. I don't claim it until I really accepted the Lord in my heart. And we all go through it. We all have this experience at one point in our life. All of us have been asleep spiritually at one point. All of us. There's no exception here. Now how can we be so sure of that? You recall the parables of the ten virgins. How many of them were asleep? But there were five wives, wise, wasn't there not? And there were five foolish, wasn't there not? And the five wise were safe inside the house of God and the five foolish were left out. So all of us have gone through this experience or will go through or maybe are currently going through this experience right now. And God is pleading with us today to wake us up. So I encourage you to pray about this in your heart because the Bible says the heart is what? deceitful above all things and incredibly wicked. And who can know it? Can you know it? God can know it. We don't need finger pointing in a church. God knows our hearts. And we need God to show us our heart each and every day. Now I don't know this church's membership status. I don't know if you're growing or shrinking. But regardless of what is going on, there are still people that are not here that have once been here, that have had the spark of the love of the truth in their hearts, but have let it slip. I want to look at a parable with you today. It's found in the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 15. And Luke 15 is filled of these similar parables. This is the parable of the lost sheep. And also in 15 you have the parable of the lost coin and the famous parable of the prodigal son. I want to start in verse 4 of Luke 15. And I read from the King James Version today. Luke 15, verse 4. It says, One man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness, and go after that which is lost until he find it. And when he hath found it, he layeth it upon his shoulders rejoicing. 
And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you, that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth, more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. Now when I read Bible stories and parables, I like to picture them in my mind. When I was younger, in my teenage years, I despised reading. I only read when I absolutely had to read. And when I heard those people say, well, the book is far better than the movie, that didn't make sense to me. I was like, how, how can you say a book is better? It made no sense to me. But now, since God grabbed my heart, I love reading, especially the older books. I just love reading books. And when I read, I like to imagine these stories in my mind. And I can see now why people say a book is better than the movie. I really like reading now. Because you can have freedom in your mind to think about something instead of what the movie is depicting to you. And so as I read this story, I pictured the story like this. Imagine with me a sheep grazing with his fellow sheep in a lush green pasture in a valley. And on both sides of this valley you see the snow-capped mountains with a crystal clear creek running through the middle of this valley. The shepherd is there watching the flock, but as the sheep are grazing, this one sheep notices a, maybe a thicker, greener bunch of grass uh, 50 feet away or something. And so he goes over it and thinking it's all his and starts mowing down on this grass. And as he's munching, 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 not paying attention to the sheep slowly moving along the path, he finally stops until his belly is content and looks up and notices, wait a minute, where did everybody go? I'm all alone here. And so he starts thinking, well, maybe they went over this pass over here. So he makes his way over to the pass, starts going through the trails, a windy trail along the edge of precipices and all the other dangers that go along with it. And as he goes through the pass to the other side, he notices a bunch of more mountains, but there's no other companions there. He lost his flock. And so he thinks, well, maybe they're just over the next one. You know how it is when you're lost and you're going somewhere. It's like, well, maybe it's just this round, around this next corner, maybe over this next hill. Maybe then I'll know where I'm at. So he continues on going through these passes, endless passes. And as the hours move on, as the night starts to creep in, he realizes he's hopelessly lost. He can't go back to where he was and he can't go on any further because all he sees are just mountains, endless array of mountains in front of him. And so he stops from exhaustion, stops out of fear of the night closing in, and just lays down. Nothing but a slow, cold death awaits him. Perhaps a wild animal will find him. It's a very sad picture indeed, is it not? You know, some of our missing members are like this. Maybe they thought the church standards were too restrictive. They thought the Bible was too high for them, so this was preventing them from having a fun life, from living the good life. Tithe? I don't want to pay tithe. I'm not going to be able to afford this new car or motorcycle I want to buy. Friday night, Sabbath begins, 6 o'clock in the fall time. 
I don't want to miss my child's football game. But what about all these rummage sales I'm going to miss on the Sabbath if I live up to these standards? What about partying with my friends? I'm going to miss all this by living the truth. And so the wandering starts. Slowly at first, but before you know it, one day, they're gone. And maybe perhaps one day down the road in their life, a year, a month, or whatever it takes, they realize that they have, they're missing what they used to have in the church. There's a cry in their heart. And that cry, they hope, is piercing God's ear. They hope that somebody will listen. Somebody will come and save them. Oh, sure, we can sit there and make excuses and say, well, they made their own bed. They got a lie in it now. First of all, that is a cold, heartless response. Or they know where the church is. They can come back. But you know, when you have drifted away from the truth after so long, embarrassment sets in. You don't want to walk back through these doors. You don't know how you're going to be received. Remember the parable of the prodigal son? How did the one son who was faithful receive the son that came back? He was angered by it. He wasn't rejoicing. He was angry. I was faithful this whole time. Why do you let him back in? So perhaps they have that fear that they're going to be treated that way. And so they sit there alone on the cold mountainside waiting for someone to come save them. But thank God there is a good shepherd who will not stop at anything to save them and us. What did this shepherd do when he noticed, when he got back into the fold with them? What did he notice? He counted the sheep. Every shepherd did this. He counted the sheep when he got back because he knew each sheep individually. God knows us each individually. And so as he counted, he saw, he saw that one was missing. Perhaps he counted several times just to make sure he had the right number. But when he saw that one was missing without a doubt in his mind, he left the flock and went and searched for the last one. Even though night has now set in, now the stars are gleaming. Even though he's cold and hungry from the long journey, his feet are weary. He starts off along this narrow, windy trail, searching It may have taken days. Saul, before he became king, was looking three days for his father's lost donkeys. This good shepherd could have been out three days looking for this lost sheep, braving the cold, the animals, the hunger, the thirst, not resting till he found them. I like what Christ's object lesson says. It says, The beautiful parable that Christ gave of the one lost sheep of the shepherd that left the 99 to go in search of that which was lost, illustrates the work of Christ, the sinner's condition, and the rejoicing of the universe or the salvation of the soul. The shepherd did not look carelessly over the sheep and say, I have 99 and, will, and it will cost me too much to trouble to go in search of the strain one. Let him come back and I will go open the door of the sheepfold that he may come in, but I cannot go after him. 
No. No sooner does a sheep go astray than the countenance of the shepherd is filled with grief and anxiety. He counts and recounts the flock, and when he is certain that one sheep is lost, he slumbers not. He leaves the ninety-nine within the fold, and however dark and tempestuous the night, however perilous and unpleasant the way, however long and tedious the service, he does not weary, he does not falter until the lost is found. And when he is found, he lays the weary, exhausted sheep on his shoulder, and with great cheerfulness that his search has not been in vain, he bears a wanderer back to the fold. His gratitude finds expression in the melodious songs of the rejoicing, and he calls upon his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. So when the wanderer is found by the great shepherd of the, of the sheep, heavenly angels respond to the shepherd's note of joy. When the lost is found, heaven and earth unite in thanksgiving and rejoicing. Joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth, more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. Now I know many of you probably know someone who is not here today that used to be here. Not because they moved away or went to Fond du Lac Church because it was closer now and they have a church, praise God. But because the love of the truth grew cold or perhaps someone offended them Many reasons, but there are people living within miles of this church that are missing. And what efforts are being won, are being sought to win them back to Christ here today? I'm not saying there's none, I don't know. I just want you to think. What efforts are being done? It's not easy winning the lost sheep back most of the time. It takes a lot of effort. The shepherd had to search for days. At my church, we, try, we started an outreach for several of our missing members a few months ago. We have a couple that say they're going to come back, or going to keep on saying they're coming back, or coming back, or coming back, but they never come back. We have one that me and my fiancé Shelby are working for that just has questions. She's really seeking. And it takes patience to answer her questions. There's another one who turned away completely from God, don't want nothing to do with God right now. But we still need to visit her, still need to appeal with her. There's many different stories behind each individual life, and every one needs to be handled according to the individual life. But no matter how difficult it is, if we are a good shepherd of this church, we will try every means to win them back. One of our late evangelists by the name of Fordyce Dedimore. Anybody remember the name Fordyce Dedimore? Let me see your hands. All right, a few of you know this, know him. He has since been deceased a few years ago. I don't know exactly how many years ago, but he specialized in this. Specialized in seeking the lost sheep that went astray. Everywhere he went evangelizing in certain towns, he always find, tried to find these people who are once in the truth that have walked away. In one of his stories in a book he has called Seeking His Lost Sheep, he tells a story of a woman, of a, of a backsliding member. And she lived in this apartment complex. So one of the apartment complexes like we have now, that the front door is always locked, you need the key to get in. And this woman lived on the third floor. And so he's standing out front without a key, without a way to get in, wondering what to do. And as he looks over the building, he 
Notice it's a fire escape. So he knew she lived on the floor, third floor, so he started to climb this fire escape. Up and up and up the stairway until he got around the third floor and just started to calmly call out her name. Mary, Mary, are you around here somewhere, Mary? And this woman in her apartment heard her voice being called from outside the window. So she stuck her head out the window and looked and there was this man standing on the stairway of this metal fire escape calling her name in the suit of all things. Who are you? What do you want? I'm Pastor Fordyce Denimar. I wanted to talk to you. And astounded, she let him in. But not long, after, not long after that, she came to the meetings faithfully and got rebaptized. And she said what convinced her was someone willing to climb three stories in a fire escape to seek and to search for her. Her heart was won over by that love the church showed her. Another story that stuck in my mind from that book was a story of a wealthy doctor once belonged to the church, but as his wealth and popularity increased, his love for the church decreased. He quit coming to church some years before Pastor Dedimore paid him a visit. And every now and then, before Pastor Dedimore went to see him, somebody important from the church would come and see him. But most of their time, they'll come to see him, and it was for money, for some church project, church building, church outreach. And so he would write a check out and give them money. And Pastor Denimore, he said when he was told about this man, didn't want to go see him at all. He didn't want to do it. But as the people kept pressing him, he consented and went to see him. When he met and knocked on this great mansion's door, a servant answered the door. Said, I'm Pastor so-and-so, I want to go see this doctor. So the servant brought, her, brought him in, led him through all the winding halls of this big mansion, and brought him to the sitting room where the doctor was. And the doctor graciously told him to sit down and made some small talk for a little while. Then after a while, the doctor just blurted out, All right, how much is it? What do you want? And Pastor Denimore said, oh, I'm just here to visit. I don't want anything. He said, no, 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 it's all the same. You all want money for something. How much and what do you want? What's it for? He said, no, I'm not here for money. I'm here to see you. I'm here to pray for you. I'm here to appeal to you to come back to the church. And so their talk continued and Pastor closed with prayer, encouraged him and left. And not thinking much coming came out of this, the following Sabbath service, the servant was at Adventist, was there at the meetings. The servant said to Pastor Denimore, what did you say to this man? And they go, what do you mean? He said, all he, can, all he has been doing all week was talking about your visit. He said, what did you do? He said, nothing. I just told him we cared for him and I prayed for him. And it took a while, but two years later, the doctor eventually came back to the church. But it was all because of that visit, because he just said, I care for you, I'm praying for you, we want you back. That's all it has to be, something simple. You don't have to confuse it. You don't have to say, well, you don't understand the 2300 days, you know, let's do a study on this, come back. It's simple. The good shepherd loves you, the good shepherd misses you, 
and we want you back in the church family. It's simple. Show you care. Simple. Me and a friend of mine from our UP church last year decided to go make a visit to someone I've never met before. But I heard he had MS. His health was getting bad. He just went through a divorce. He was in a little bit of a wreck, I guess, emotionally. So my friend and I went to go visit him last summer. We made some small talk. He knew some family of mine, was good friends with some cousins of mine, and we talked about that for a little bit. And As the time went on, I had the Bible in my hand. He knew I was there on a spiritual visit. And so I just asked him, so I heard you used to belong to the church many years ago. And, you know, I, he said he remembered me. I was a little tiny kid when he was in church. He's like, yeah, I was in church, but when I was in church, someone came and told me when I started to work on the Sabbath that I shouldn't work on the Sabbath and that if I continue, they're taking my name off the books. Now, I'm not against church discipline. I believe we have overlooked church discipline a great amount in our churches today. But there's a proper way to handle it, and this wasn't properly handled. And so that put a bitter spirit in his belly against our church. And so when we were visiting with him, I was just praying for wisdom because it's God who gets all the glory and does all the work, not us. We're just the instruments in his hands. And so there's a story I read in the Christ Object Lessons, a parable about the pearl, the goodly pearl. And I told this parable to him about how this merchant man was looking for pearls to buy and he found this one pearl at great price and sold all he had to buy this pearl. And I used to think about this parable and the application of how we need to be like that merchant man to sell all we have just to get the kingdom of God. It's true. That's true. But there's another application to this that Christ's object lessons brings out. And the other application is that I am the pearl and Jesus is this merchant man. Jesus was willing to give up everything just to save me personally, individually. Jesus didn't know if his mission would be 100% successful, but he did it anyway. And so I explained this parable to him, and I didn't know what came of it. After me and my friend left, the mother of this man, who recently came back into the church, contacted me and told my friend and I, that it gave him so much hope after we left. And now he's having hope. Now he's not back in the church by any means, but there's hopefully a seed planted in his heart that there is hope for him. And we spend much time talking about doing public evangelism, which is great. Evangelism is the lifeblood of the church. If there's show me a church that isn't doing much or any public evangelism, and I'll show you a church that is slowly dying out. Evangelism is a lifeblood. It challenges us to dig deeper into the Word of God. But how much time is being spent on those who are once a part of the church and have walked away? Evangelism, evangelism, rather reaching your missing members or the public, is never convenient. It takes self-denial. I struggle at times 
going out to witness for someone or going to go visit somebody because I got all this stuff I need to get done. It takes a heart that is sincere and willing to do it. The Bible says in 1 John 4, 8, that God is love. And in order for us to love the work, to love the people who have wandered, and to love the public, we have to have God give us that heart of love because only he can give true love. I want to go to 1 Corinthians 13 in closing. I want to look at one verse and close with that. 1 Corinthians 13. And this is a famous love chapter. 1 Corinthians 13. I'm going to read verse 7. This is speaking about love. Love beareth all things. Love believeth all things. Love hopeth all things. Love endureth all things. When we work for the backslidden people, this verse is very important to remember. When it says love beareth, that means you shelter them, you protect them. You don't expose what they are doing. You don't go on a missionary visit to them and then come back to the church and say, well, they're doing this. No, that's not love. Love protects. You protect their reputation. You don't excuse what they're doing, but you are protecting them from the people who may gossip or look down upon them. Love, believe it. That means we have faith in the person when you go see them that they are going to come back. Not everyone comes back. Probably most of them don't. But you go there with faith in God that they will come back. And you impart that faith into them. You say, I know you love the Lord. I know you want to come back. Don't say, do you want to come back? Do you love God? Impart faith into them by your speech. You know, do more than doubting them in your own mind. Love hopes. No matter how far they have fallen, could be a prostitute, could be several wives, I don't know what, how far you can fall, but no matter how far they have fallen, fallen give them hope. Give them assurance that God still loves them. It'll do wonders for people. I had somebody try to counsel me one time years ago, and it was nothing but condemn, condemnation, condemnation, condemnation. They had the Bible in their hands, but they never opened up the Bible. They left never gave me hope. I said, oh, what is this? This isn't a missionary visit. So don't condemn. Don't cast them down. Give them hope. And finally, love endureth. No matter what may surround the circumstances, no matter what you have to endure to win them back, don't give up. We can go there one time, say they rejected us, and that's it. Don't give up. The Bible says that, But thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion, and gracious, and plenteous in mercy and truth. I want to encourage you today, if those of you here might be inspired to work for those people who have walked away, to talk to your personal ministries leaders, your elders. Tell them you have a conviction that we need to work for these members that have walked away. Read these parables in Luke 15. Study about them. Pray about them. Read Christ's object lessons of what they say about them, pages 198 to 211. Read the book by Fortis Stedemore, Seeking His Lost Sheep. But most importantly, pray. Pray for them. Pray for yourself. That their hearts will be rekindled, and yours as well, 
as this important work is carried on. We have the great commission going to the world. We have the great omission neglecting our duty as a whole. Let's not neglect these poor people. Let's not neglect our church within. Let us encourage one another as we see that day approaching because I believe with all my heart that Jesus is coming within my lifetime and I don't want to be in heaven and see somebody that's not there that I know I could have reached. And I don't want to be planted on the ground when Jesus comes back either. I want to be rising up to heaven. And I know that's all your desire. I know that's everyone's here desire. Nobody I've ever met says they want to go to hell. Nobody does. We all want heaven, don't we? And so I want to encourage you to pray for your own church, pray for yourselves, and pray for these people who have walked away, and to put forth an energy that the true shepherd will put forth for their souls. And when we get to heaven, Jesus can say to us, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of my rest. Is that your desire today? Our God, we are so grateful today that you are the good shepherd. That Lord, even though myself, even though I'm within your church, even though I study your Bible, there are times each and every day where I stray from your side. I praise God that you are still calling me and that you say that him that cometh unto me I will in no wise cast out. So Father, let us impart this truth, impart your love to these people who may have slipped without recognition possibly. Let our hearts be rekindled for that love, for you and for the truth. And we thank you so much for hearing. I pray for a blessing upon the people here for the rest of the Sabbath day. In Jesus' name, amen.